Okay, so let's all open up our reading is fun books to page 69. 69. <laughs> Welcome to Aspect Radio. I'm Ben Flanagan. And I'm Corey Kraft. Today we hit the ice with the profane Canadian hockey movie with plenty of blood and a lot of heart, Goon. We catch up with Ben's brother Graham in New York for what's in limited release, weed out some stinkers you should avoid in theaters, and take a look at a trailer for Woody Allen's newest, To Roam with Love. But first, Suzanne Collins' young adult series sensation The Hunger Games hit the big screen with a film adaptation of the first book in the series this past week. To select one courageous young man and woman for the honor of representing District 12 in the 74th annual Hunger Games. It's your first year, Prim. Your name's only been in there once. They're not gonna pick you. Ben, we knew this dystopian sci-fi series would be big, but more than $250 million in two weeks could be called astronomical. A lot of fans had a lot of hope in this franchise, so before we discuss our reaction to the film, I talked to fans familiar with the franchise, fans of the books, on opening night at the Cobb Hollywood 16. So let's turn it over real quick to Aspect Radio field correspondent, uh, me. This is Aspect Radio field correspondent Corey Kraft. Thanks, Ben and Corey, for uh, turning it over to me. We are here at the Cobb Hollywood 16. It is about 8.37 p.m. on Thursday, March 22nd, and the line is already stretching outside of the building uh, with a little under three and a half hours to go before the movie even starts. Uh, with me is field producer Kathleen Buckley. She's laughing because I just gave her a title. Hi, Kathleen. How are you? I'm good. Well, Kathleen, I'm, I've never read these books. So tell me, why uh, are you excited to see the Hunger Games movie, and uh, why do you think there are so many people here? I can just speak for myself, really. I picked up the books. I don't know. I can't remember when it was. But I picked them up and read them all three by the you know the next day or something so it was an easy read a quick read and you know kept me wondering what was going to happen on the next page so i'm excited to see what's going to happen with the movie well what uh, what are you looking forward to in particular uh about this movie i'm really looking forward to see uh, seeing how they um how they show some of the more interesting descriptions that were in the book like the capital and and things, which I don't want to ruin for you because I know you haven't read them. But um, but the capital sounds really interesting. Lots of I guess possibilities as far as makeup and costume goes. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, cool. Thank you very much, Kathleen Buckley. Let's uh, go find some other people in the line to talk to. So what is it about these books and about this movie that's made you want to come out here uh, and wait in line a good three hours plus before the movie starts? Anybody? Well, I think it's just such a different concept of these books than we've ever seen before. So it's kind of more intriguing to people because of that. And I just find the books fascinating. So I wanted to see their portrayal in the movie. How- do you guys do this with the Twilight movies too? No. 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 <laughs> 
That's a pretty resounding no. I even did this for the Twilight movies. I, I didn't have a recorder out here. So what are you most looking forward to seeing in this movie? I'm trying to just keep an open mind and just see what they do, because I don't want to hate it because it's not my expectation. So I'm trying not to expect anything in particular. I hope they don't screw it up like they screwed the Twilight series up. <laughs> so. so try not to give anything away for my benefit, but if this movie, if you're worried about this movie messing up any one thing, what are you most worried about? I, mean, I don't think I'm worried about this one being messed up. Like, the later movies, I would be more worried. But yeah. the first yeah. one, since we haven't seen any previous Hunger Games movies, I'm... I don't really know. And I think that the first one is short enough that they won't have to cut anything out. Like, you know how the Harry Potter books, they kind of have to cut stuff out because the books are like five, six, seven hundred pages, and so they just can't feasibly put, fit that into like one movie. I just don't think they'll have to cut anything out, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, really, I'm not really worried about them screwing anything up. Yeah. <laughs> I think the books, like the plot line and stuff is really very good to be adapted to a movie. I mean, it's yeah. mostly action and not so much internal. Very. So yeah. I think it'll translate really well to the screen. I've seen some reviews online, early reviews, and they say, all of them pretty much say it adheres to the book's plotline pretty well, so I'm excited for that. The reason I came to see the movie at midnight is because I'm a huge fan of the book series, and I have been anticipating the films for a really long time, and I really wanted to see them right when they came out, and, and I got here at this early because I've been to a lot of midnight premieres here before, and I knew that the line gets really long, and I really wanted to get a good seat, so I wanted to make sure that I got here in time for that. Well, it's almost around the building now. I really like to look forward to how it relates to the books and how the movie, like the movie, relates to the book and how many similarities there are. I think that's the most important to keep the book true throughout the movie, and I think that's that's what a lot of people want in a movie. And when it doesn't do that, it's disappointing. But I've heard that this does that. These other young adult movie adaptations have come out, like the Twilight series, like uh, the Harry Potter books. First of all, are you a fan of those? Yes, I am. Okay. So are, where, where would you rank this series, I guess, with those recent big successes? Well, I grew up with Harry Potter, and I think that Harry Potter and this series actually go hand in hand, but I will say that Twilight is the lesser of the three. So if you're worried that they're going to mess one thing up, what are you most worried about? Not catching the most important parts that really are like heart-tugging and make you really enthralled in a movie, or and also in the book. So you appear to be dressed in costume, too. What's, what's your name? My real name or my costumed name? Whatever you'd prefer. <laughs> I'm Katie Brazil, dressed as Effie Trinket. Okay, so um, what about this uh, book series and this movie that you haven't even seen yet inspired you to uh, dress up as a character? And why that character? I was inspired to dress up as this character because she has based on the previews, some of the most extravagant costumes in the movie. So I figured, why not go for the biggest and the best? What are you looking forward to the most in this movie? I'm honestly just looking forward to seeing what all the hype's about. I've never been to a midnight premiere before. Oh, so this is your first one? Yes, so I'm actually just really looking forward to the experience as a whole. Are you surprised that the line is almost around the building here just past 9 o'clock? Not at all, because I've been warned. <laughs> well, why, why do you think these books are so popular with uh, people who are older than, I guess, the young adult demographic that the books are aimed towards? I feel like the subject matter is a little bit deeper than a lot of books that have been popular more with the younger crowd. Post-apocalyptic America and killing people draws in more of an audience. So are you like a like a Twilight and Harry Potter fan as well? Would you would you go to like a midnight show for any of that? Actually, I haven't ever read or seen any of those movies. Wow. So but but The Hunger Games is what drew you out finally. Yeah, brought me out of my hibernation. Well, cool. You sir. What's your name? Adam Naylor. Adam. So uh, what are you doing here tonight? I'm just here to see the movie. Have you read any of the books? I've read the first one, and I'm halfway through the second one. Yeah? yeah. What, do you, what do you think of them? Uh, they're fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's different. It's a different storyline, so I'm jo enjoying it so far. Yeah. And uh, what, what, do you, uh, what do you think about what you've seen in the movie, if you've seen any of the trailers so far? I've strayed away from the trailer because I had not really read the books until recently. Uh -huh. But uh, I've seen it once, and it... Looks, it looks pretty exciting. Well, having read at least the first book, what are you most looking forward to seeing in the movie? I guess I'm looking forward to seeing if it sticks true to the book, and uh, also just to see what the hype's about. Sure. Well, thanks so much for talking to me, you guys. Really appreciate it. 
Well, there's no question this crowd is ready for the Hunger Games premiere. They're pumped. Some people have even dressed up based on what they've seen in the trailers and what they've imagined their favorite characters look like from the books. And I'm right there with them. I'm, I'm kind of excited for the movie now, too. And uh, by the time we hear this, of course, I will have already seen it. So there's nothing left for me to do but to turn it back over to Ben and, well, me in the studio. Back to you guys and myself. Thanks a lot, Corey, for that field report. So uh, having heard from all these fans who had such love for the harrowing tale of Katniss Everdeen and, and where her story goes in the first film, The Hunger Games, let's start our discussion. You haven't read the books, have you? No. I haven't read the books either. So I guess we could use this as a starting point, both of us being unfamiliar with the franchise before going into this movie, to talk about this. Is this movie accessible to non-fans of the franchise. Oh yeah, definitely. I really think so. And it's a really interesting story and I'm surprised it hasn't really generated more controversy than it has. It seems like beyond the fact that it's such a mainstream cult favorite, or it goes beyond cult really because there are legions of fans out there who adore this property. But the fact that we're talking about a story that involves kids killing kids, I'm just surprised that it hasn't wound up on more, say, cable news networks. And it seems like it would be perfect fodder for talking heads out there. Right. Kids killing kids for the entertainment of the masses. Right. But beyond that, I think it is an incredibly engrossing post-apocalyptic science fiction action movie. And it's a crowd pleaser in a lot of ways because first and foremost, it has a worthy heroine that is really easy to root for played with as much grace and integrity by Jennifer Lawrence as she brought to her film Winter's Bone, which made her a star. Got got her her yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that this is almost as good a performance, if not better. I might even prefer this performance to that. The roles are similar, really. They're because, very similar. Yeah. yeah, it involves this young woman who sort of serves as a surrogate parent to a sibling who is poverty stricken in a way and is in need of food, quite literally in this case. She's having to put food on the table as best as she possibly can, whether that's actually hunting for something in the woods or just getting a loaf of bread that happens to be thrown in the mud when a baker's done with it. But I think once you buy into her and her motives and what drives her, and the stakes are incredibly high here, then it works. It totally does. And I think Gary Ross here is a fine director for the material, which comes from young adult fiction. And this is, again, a book that I haven't read, but it's a story that intrigued me going into it. And I felt like while there are some flaws, I think, story-wise, especially once the Hunger Games start in the movie and once they come to a close with this story, I think that there are some problems there in terms of how they rush some of the climax and some of the aspects of that. I think that this movie is actually really entertaining. I think it's very good. I probably liked it a lot more walking out of the theater than I do now, just upon reflection and having cooled on it a little bit. But at the Midnight Show, which is where I saw it, as we heard earlier, it seemed to really hit the mark for big fans of the book. My wife, who we also heard in that recording that I got that night, was very pleased with it. She liked it a lot more than I did, just being more familiar with the source material. But you're spot on when you say that Jennifer Lawrence, her performance for me elevates this material and the director, Gary Ross's wise choice to focus on the characters rather than the admittedly engrossing plot here makes the whole thing work. I feel like with less strong character work, this movie would have just completely fallen apart and been kind of ridiculous. And it does sort of get close to the edge of ridiculousness at times, but it's this excellent character work and very well cast performances that sort of ground it, sort of bring it back. I also like Josh Hutcherson as um, Katniss's, yeah, yeah. Katniss's fellow tribute from District 12, PETA. He gets a pretty meaty role and he does a good job with it. You know, one thing that I like about this movie too is that the character work is often very subtle. The movie doesn't feel the need to over explain anything or draw things out that you can sort of already get a handle on with quieter character work. Late in the movie, there is a complication involving Peta and Katniss, and her motivations are actually still left up in the air as the film comes to a close. It's nicely shaded work, and, you know, I, I suppose that's the sort of thing that will pay off in later installments in the series, but that whole sort of subplot, that whole thread of 
what is genuine versus what is a show for the audience who's watching these Hunger Games, and you get a lot of that throughout the movie, is very interesting stuff to me, and, and the performances do really well by that material. Yeah, I agree about the subtlety, especially, too, when it comes to, I guess, the allegorical messages mm. that this movie has. I mean, we're talking about several different very serious themes where you're dealing with war and poverty and hunger and violence in general. And it has a lot to say about those things, but it never force feeds it. And again, you talk about the motivations of these characters that aren't spoon fed, I guess, to the audience. And with these films, with these young adult adaptations, I guess, especially these days that have to please, again, these legions of fans out there who adore them, it's really easy to sort of cater to them in terms of just kind of plucking, say, a romantic triangle, playing to that aspect of the story, which is much easier and tends to sell tickets these days. And while this one does that, like you said, it does it in a different way, and it's a lot smarter. And this movie's actually really smart, and that's rare these days, is that you have these big mainstream action films that actually treat their audiences like they have brains. And this one, while it is for younger people, I think it's something that adults can actually enjoy just as much as the younger people. Like you said, the Performances are fantastic. You have a game seasoned cast that seems totally up for whatever the story has in for them. And yeah, it could go over the top and it can get silly, but the cast and the crew, they really never let themselves reduce it to that, which is nice. Yeah, you know, as far as the love triangle goes, I feel like everything with Liam Hemsworth's character is sort of, I guess, stage setting for something that will happen in another movie or later in the series i you know i don't really i didn't really understand his character's purpose as it was established other than i guess that was her best friend at home and they just cut to him occasionally watching the games and he doesn't really get too much more to do in this movie than that which i don't know if it annoyed me really because i understand the need to do that if something's going to come up in a later movie but it kind of annoyed me a little bit well, it's it's to set up this love triangle, yeah. really, with this first movie especially, because it gives this movie an aspect that it might not have had with a more, I don't know, straightforward adaptation of the book. Again, I haven't read it, but it seemed like the marketing certainly benefited from it, because you're right, Liam Hemsworth doesn't really do much other than just sort of be this doe-eyed hunk, I guess, to Jennifer Lawrence. And yeah, it gives us this conflict, and it gives these characters this conflict where it's going to arise once Peta and Katniss spend this very intimate time and crucial time together when they're fighting for each other's and their own lives. It brought a nice little, a little bit of depth, I guess, to the movie, but really the story is, it's about Katniss. Right, and, and you get everything pretty much from her perspective, including the lavishness of the capital once you get there and, and even the intensity of the games. There are very few cutaways when the Hunger Games actually start to outside action. You'll get some things in the control room where the game master played by uh, Wes Bentley is sort of manipulating what's happening. And then you'll get some cutaways to the announcers of the games played by Stanley Tucci and Toby Jones, who are giving us exposition without it really feeling too terribly much like exposition. I actually want to single out Stanley Tucci for doing a lot with a role that could have been really silly, but ends up being weirdly plausible and, and nicely human. So, Peter, tell me, is there a special girl back home? No, no, not really. No. I don't believe it for a second. Look at that face, handsome man like you. Peter, tell me. Well, there, uh, there is this one girl that I've had a crush on forever. Well, I'll tell you what, Peter. You go out there. And you win this thing. And when you get home, she'll have to go out with you. Right, folks? <laughs> Thanks, but I, uh, I don't think winning's gonna help me at all. And why not? Because she came here with me. I agree, especially during those interview segments, yeah. I guess, in front of those large crowds where you have Katniss or all of the tributes, I guess, interacting with his character, Caesar. I preferred those to the more like TV 
established yeah. shots, which sort of brought me out of the story a little bit and made it a little more kitschy and put me in, I guess, the mindset of someone who I guess would watch these games. Well, you sport. know, it is it is just for expositions. Right. Yeah, but it, it, I don't know if it really needed it. I kind of preferred yeah. it when I was totally taken out of it in that regard. And I was actually in those games where I was on the stage with them while they were being interviewed. Yeah, it's I kind like of that like, how, why, why not shoot those live shots, you know, or those exposition or recaps in the same way that they shot those interviews anyway. But yeah, they were really good. And I did like that sort of over the top depiction of the Capitol and just how gaudy the world had right. become where it sort of fell short for me in terms of the Capitol was I wanted to know so much more about the motivations behind the Capitol and these adults in this country who puts these people in these awful situations where they have to sacrifice members of their districts. And they do sort of briefly go into this civil war that the occurred history. yeah, in the yeah. history of the Hunger Games with this little expository video, and that sort of knocks it out. And while I appreciate that they're not bombarding us with exposition, I still kind of wanted to get further inside the heads of someone like the president, played by Donald Sutherland here, or West Bentley's character when instead of that I feel like they're more surface level characters that don't offer much depth at all. Well I think it's sort of and this isn't necessarily a criticism it's going to sound like it no matter what I do but it's kind of a surface level allegory. You have the lavishness of the capital versus the Appalachian rural dilapidation of District 12 where Katniss comes from and for me it's this basic class warfare story that's sort of summed up in one wordless and I think pretty skillful scene where uh, Woody Harrelson's character, Haymitch, the uh, drunken former winner of the Hunger Games from District 12, is sitting in the Capitol, and he's outside and he sees two young children of the Capitol and they're playing with weapons, they're playing with toy swords. And in that one scene, you realize that, A, the children of the Capitol are not required to participate in the Hunger Games, and B, that this actual life or death struggle that he survived and that these two kids that he's been mentoring and are about to go through with it, it's about to become very real for them in a way that these capital residents will never really understand. And, and so you get this message of class warfare and this message of, to use, I guess, a popular buzz phrase that's been thrown about lately, this message of the 1% of the capital versus the 99% of the 12 districts, which makes The Hunger Games a very timely movie, if not, as you said, an especially deep one. It just feels like a pretty basic rich people versus everybody else sort of thing. But they're in power, they want to stay in power, and they want to retain their lavish lifestyles. Yeah, and you get these little moments of solidarity among the districts, right. when, you know, led by Katniss. With the this. hand gesture, right. which I'm told has particular significance in the books. But. Well, that's only slightly hinted at, yeah. which may be another flaw here, and they're hinting at things to come, and right. that's fine. Whatever. It didn't bother me as much. And look, this movie serves as a setup for the rest of this trilogy, but when it comes down to it, and while all of that setup going into the games is nice, I think everything is set up incredibly well. I like the time and place they sort of throw at us and put us in, and it really works, and the performances are great, but what this is really all about is getting to the games. Yeah. And once the games start, I felt that sense of urgency, that sense of struggle and survival that is just immediately thrust on these characters that we've learned to care for and root for. And again, once we're just spending all of the time that we are with Katniss, I felt like she could do it. I wanted her to do it. I wanted her to come out of there alive. I wanted to see her shoot that bow and arrow and just to see this character and how resourceful she was and some of the yeah. ways she found to keep herself alive. I just found it incredibly enthralling at times, even when she develops this little relationship with this little protege. Yeah. And that's going to be the source of debate, I think, for a lot of people. I think that at first it came across as really corny and forced, but I think once a certain thing happens to the younger character. Jennifer Lawrence's performance, again, really sells it for me because of yeah. the parallel that it draws with her younger sister. You're right. You're right. That that closing moment of that particular thread really does sell it. I am bothered that it existed as, as a, as a uh, story point. And for me, you know, the games are really intense, but that's where I feel like the plot mechanics really show themselves as being maybe a little bit more unnatural than they had been in the games themselves. I'm thinking of a particular rule change and then another rule change and then 
the appearance of I don't know how to do this without the CGI it. dogs. CGI yeah. dogs. Let's just say CGI dogs. Well, or whatever they are. Apparently, they're they're quite different in the book as well, according to my wife. But you get these, for lack of a better word, plot contrivances. But they're also sort of thought of as contrivances within the games themselves by the characters who are contriving them. So it's almost like a meta meta commentary on itself. It doesn't mean it worked for me, but I mean, it is an interesting way to sort of make that more dramatic by just writing it off as something that other characters are doing. Once the dogs showed up, it, it lost me in yeah. a way. I mean, it just started to rush itself and these the tributes sort of start getting picked apart one by one until we're down to the ones that matter there in the climax that takes place on this like ship or pod or whatever it it's is. It's like the cornucopia just, where they have yeah, the supplies it's just, on it's top of it. It's poorly staged and again it's rushed. It's really it's badly just, shot. Yeah, it's really unsatisfying. Well, I, I, I'd say all of the one-on-one action like fight scenes are really badly shot and I understand that that is in a lot of ways necessary to obscure what could be considered too violent for the PG-13 well, rating. I'll say when they are finally sent up in those tubes uh, and the games begin, there is a sequence of violence there when all hell starts breaking loose and the games begin. And uh, I think that that was actually pretty well shot, personally. That, but, that was okay, effective. Yeah, that's effective, but, but then you have later scenes of one-on-one that are pretty ineptly shot I yeah. would say that, that just don't work because you have no sense of orientation or what's going on it's just you know somebody ends up dead and that's how you find out yeah, what happened and look I would say that it bothered me that the dogs were CGI creations anyway because I would just say that's stupid anyway but they're artificial creations or something yeah by the capital or whomever is yeah. controlling these games so know. I'll allow it I guess and yeah when they make these little rule changes one by one that feels sort of rushed too. And yeah, it might be deliberate on their part, but like you said, it doesn't really work. Something that I felt was missing there in the games was I wanted to see Katniss or Peeta, one of these two characters that whom we are invested in, I wanted to see them face a situation where it's going to be them or someone else we care about. And while that's hinted at when really the idea of the games is there can be only one, so we're going to lose either Katniss or Peeta along this journey, I just never really felt like either of them was put in a place where they were going to have to kill or be killed when it came to someone they cared about. They don't have very many difficult decisions. No. It turns into good guys against bad guys. Yeah, I didn't like that either. I didn't really care much for the fact that there were these four bad kids who were shaded as bad kids from the beginning, the kids from Districts 1 and 2 who have trained for the uh, the games and who volunteer and who, by all accounts, are expected to win. That's kind uh, of interesting, just, though. But, but, but then they're just painted as assholes. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's not interesting. It's kind of like in uh, Battle Royale, really. And, the, of course, this film gets compared yeah. to that movie. But there's a twist in that that reveals that a couple of the contestants or participants are old hands at right. the games. Right. So I think that that – and I don't know if that's a direct reference to that I doubt it. or not. But other than these minor quibbles, I really think that, again, this is an incredibly entertaining film. It's a good sci-fi action movie, and it's one that I, I would recommend to people. And I, I'm glad people are seeing and talking about it. You know, If I thought that this movie was incredibly stupid, it would make me mad that it had made $250 million <laughs> at this point. But I'm kind of okay with it. Yeah, you know, it is smarter than the the average uh, young adult adaptation. Well, it's smarter than the average action movie in general. Well, that's true, too. Yeah. And and it does have a lot of interesting science fiction ideas. And even if most or a lot of the things aren't executed to their fullest potential, perhaps, the performances carry it. And it's really worth seeing for Jennifer Lawrence alone. You know, her performance in Winter's Bone was my favorite of that year. And I don't know that this comes close to the heights of that performance for me, but it is very good. And, you know, if she can get an Oscar nomination for Winter's Bone, which made like three million dollars maybe somebody will consider her for a 250 million dollar blockbuster i don't know <laughs> i don't know about that either but she's she's, she's that good she's, she is that yeah, good she's, that, she's good. that good and you know there are so many scenes where she proves that and one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when they're having to show what they've got i guess or show their talents to these sponsors and she goes out there by herself as these sort of old rich men are sort of casually dining and sort of talking with each other at this reception where there's food and hors d'oeuvres and stuff and she's down there just sort of as their little show pony and she's shooting her bow and arrow and they're not paying attention i just thought that there was a really interesting stylistic decision that gary ross made to use the natural sound of the room once she is taken out of the moment of hitting a bullseye one time and you just sort of hear them talking 
talking to each other. You can't really make out what they're saying. And then she gets their attention in this yeah. really cool way. Yeah. So there are lots of really neat little flourishes there. But again, you should come to see Jennifer Lawrence's performance. Yeah, she really carries the whole thing. And, it, you know, it's a fun movie regardless and uh, an interesting sci-fi movie. Well, the film is now playing nationwide and in Tuscaloosa at the Cobb Hollywood 16. And we'll take a short break in the penalty box and return for a go at the new hockey comedy Goon. So stick around, eh? that you go to the box you know uh, two minutes by yourself and you feel shame you know mm-hmm. and then you get free welcome back to aspect radio unfortunately i didn't put on my cargo vest and head out into the field for the goon midnight premiere because there <laughs> wasn't one at least not in tuscaloosa the film is playing in select theaters but you can find it through your cable provider's video on demand service which is how we saw the film Doug, you impressed the hell out of me last night. Come down the ring for a tryout. No, you're not joining the Oscapades, right, buddy? You're not trying enough for the... the what? You've been touched by the fist of God. What number you want to wear? 69! Take the number 69! It's hilarious! Is that number taken? My brother, he wants to offer you a contract. You're not here to play hockey. You're here to fight. This is one step under the beat league. No glory holes here tonight! Hi, I'm Doug Lash. Two rules, man. Stay away from my Percocets, and do you have any Percocets? All right. Who the hell can take these guys? You are dumb. I'm on your team! I'm here to do whatever they need me to do. They need me to bleed, and I'll bleed for my team. You can do anything except punch people. What do I know? See, like the Hebrew Dolph Lundgren. Doug, I dig hockey players. The violence, the beer. I'm horny a lot. (laughs) Corey, I don't know about you, but I consider myself a fan of hockey. As improbable as that might sound for an Alabama kid to grow up liking hockey, you might blame what else? Movies and video games. And when you watch movies like Slapshot and the Mighty Ducks and play Nintendo games like Blades of Steel at an impressionable age like I did, you've got little choice other than to embrace the sport none of us have ever had a chance of playing, which is one of my lifetime regrets. But I dig it. While I think it helps to be a fan of hockey to really appreciate Goon, a new comedy written by Jay Baruchel and Evan Goldberg and directed by Michael Douse, I don't think it's a prerequisite necessarily. The film follows plenty of the typical sports tropes that we're already used to. Underachieving underdog with no direction finally finds his purpose busting heads as a hockey enforcer for a minor league Canadian hockey team. Corey, I might not be up to snuff on hockey history, and I'd struggle to name more than a handful of active NHL players today, but you won't find a bigger fan of Slapshot than me. And that's the comparison we're seeing here with Goon, and I find it appropriate. You've got profanity, fighting, and hockey. There are a few other examples of that kind of movie. Now, while I won't go as far as to say this is as good as George Roy Hill's gritty comedy, I feel pretty confident saying that this is one of the best sports movies we've seen in years. And it is my favorite film of 2012 so far. So I will ask you, did I shoot and score with that? Or do I need to spend a little time in the penalty box? (laughs) Well, I I guess I need to see Slapshot at some point. Oh, boy. Yeah. I'm not familiar with hockey, really. And I've heard that I need to see Slapshot. I thought Goon was okay. I don't have the affinity for the sport that you do. So maybe that colored your viewing of the film. But, um, you know, it it does, I guess, have a a lot of things that these typically profane comedies don't. For one, its protagonist, Sean William Scott, is a likable, kind of sweet guy, even though his job is to bust heads open in the middle of hockey games, which is, I guess, something that people do in hockey. Yeah, see, I, I I have no frame of reference here, well, so I, I I don't know. Well, I mean, you, his job is explained is, in the movie. Right. He work, he serves as a goon or an enforcer, where it's his job if the team's best player is, I guess, in a vulnerable position right. during the game, or if the team is sort of attacking them, it's his job to go and set them straight and protect his guy. 
So I, I, I guess I guess I liked his performance. I liked Allison Pill as his love interest, and I liked Leah Schreiber as this sort of aging hockey enforcer on the verge of retirement. Everything else didn't really come together for me so much. Like you said, it does follow standard sports movie tropes. The new guy on on a team of sort of misfits misfits yeah the, the these guys who can't really get it together until his presence sort of spurs the star of the team this really troubled french canadian guy who was sort of knocked out and yeah. now just basically screws around does a lot of drugs and doesn't really take the game seriously or as seriously as he used to sean william scott is sent in to sort of make his job easier by protecting him basically and help him get his groove back for lack of a better term which i guess was fine i mean the movie was fine i I don't really have any strong feelings about it and you sort of blindsided me with the best movie of 2012 thing so i'll let you i'll let you talk about what you liked so much about it because i i don't really have any complaints or things to say about it either way well it's just one of those movies and i'll lump it in with sports movies where i feel so comfortable spending time with the characters i could spend all day with them i really could and this team especially i think that these russian players these these twins or brothers on the team are hilarious this french canadian goalie on the team with this huge mustache that is at odds with them is one of the funniest supporting performances i've seen in a while that guy is funny i like his two rules oh uh, man yeah they great and you have this sort of drunkard divorced captain of the team who can barely stand up through most of the movie who gives mid-game locker room speeches about why they can beat a team because the other guys on the team are also divorced and their spirits are down too even though they're down six to one i you know these guys are just so funny and i can't really go into detail about i can't go into specifics about why they're so funny because the movie's so profane and i wouldn't want to ruin any of the jokes i mean this is a hard r movie not only because of the language, but because of the violence, too. There's a lot of blood in this movie. Because, again, we're literally talking about cracking skulls here. And who better to do it than one of the most likable brutes I think I've seen in movies in a while. And what's interesting about this lead character here is he's kind of a buffoon. Yeah, he's not. He's a dummy. Yeah, he's and admittedly, too. He comes from a Jewish family of doctors. His father is a doctor played by Eugene Levy. It's interesting to see Stifler and Jim's dad in these sort of reversed roles here. Sort of appropriate, given what's coming out this week, right? True. But, you know, it's a successful family and he doesn't fall in line with these doctors and these brainiacs. And he's accepted his role as someone who's basically just good at hitting people and beating people up. And he finds a place where he can do that legally and be successful at it. And it's accepted by a certain community that may not be his biological family. Or it's even hinted at his being adopted in this movie. I didn't too, know how seriously part. to take Yeah, that. I'm not sure either. But, you know, I just found it really sweet and uh, really entertaining and engaging again. There's not a lot of plot here other than this is someone who is lost and they have to find their purpose. And once they do, their life begins to get on track and they develop these friendships and relationships, too, because you mentioned Alison Pillow that are genuine and worthwhile. And it just sort of gave me a nice feeling. And, yeah, it helped that I, I like the sport. But, I you know, I look at this like I look at something like Slapshot and like I look at Major League, again, where you just sort of have this really friendly, real-life, profane funny atmosphere where I would love to hang out and spend more time. And I thought that the dynamic between Sean William Scott and Lev Shriver that you mentioned, who I think gives a really good performance yeah, he's here. Good. And those two share one of the best scenes of the year. And I think I'll be talking about it at the end of the year. I suppose you heard I'm going to retire at the end of the season. I've been at this since I was 17, but I'll be damned if I'm going to go out like some Nancy boy middle age. You understand? Yeah, I understand you have my respect. Whatever that means to you, you got it. But know that it's hard. If ever there comes a time when it gets down to the marrow and it's you and me, kid, I will lay you the go. It's kind of a throwback or an homage to the scene in Heat between Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. It has great dialogue, and that's surprising to me coming from a screenwriter like... Jay Baruchel, who co-wrote this movie with Evan Goldberg, whom we're familiar with. Who gives a pretty bad supporting performance. That's the thing, is the the, the only, I guess, 
problem that I have with it is that Jay Baruchel's character is pretty annoying. And, like super annoying. Well, there I think that he has enough lines to get him by, and he works as a nice crutch to sort of move Doug, the main character, I guess, onward to his journey that he needs to take. And once we start spending a little more time with Doug and the teammates and then Allison Pill, who's really likable here, even though that's not the most fleshed out love story in all of movie love stories, I think it all just totally works and tells a really simple, nice, small story. Yeah, you know, I the first 20 minutes for me were pretty rough going before Doug gets traded to the minor league team. and You, you spend a lot of time with Jay Baruchel's character and his, I guess, public access TV show or whatever it is that he does. That didn't really work for me. But once he does get into the team, the movie finds a nice groove and it's pleasant. And, you know, that's pretty much all I can say about it because I didn't really have strong feelings for it either way. Well, look, it's funny. It tells a simple, nice story. It has great performances, in my opinion. Looks good. The hockey is shot very well. And it's a crowd pleaser. And that showdown that we get at the end between these two enforcers that it's sort of building up towards, I think that works too. And I like, I guess, the conclusion that they come to between the characters. And again, Schreiber lends a certain gravitas to this film that probably might not deserve it in most cases. And look, I haven't seen a lot of movies this year, so we're talking about a small sample size but yeah if i had to pick between this and the handful of films that we've reviewed on the show so far i think that this is probably my favorite Hmm. so i look forward to revisiting it and i'll be tempted to buy it again on demand but we'll see if we do that but the film is playing in select cities not including those in alabama and you can find it through video on demand so check your cable provider we'll take another break when we return ben's brother graham will be popping in from new york to share what he's seen in limited release stay with us Welcome back to Aspects Radio. We're going to send it over now to my brother Graham, who is up in New York City, to tell us a little bit about what's in limited release. Hey, Ben and Corey. This is Graham Flanagan reporting from New York City on what's playing in limited release. The Kid with a Bike is the latest movie from directing duo Jean-Pierre and Luc Dardin. It earned the Belgian brothers the jury's grand prize at the 2011 Cannes Film Festival, falling just short of bringing the filmmakers their third palm d'or after winning in 1999 and 2005. The Kid with a Bike stars Thomas Duray as Cyril, an 11-year-old boy who's been dumped in an orphanage by his neglectful young father, played by Jeremy Renier. During one of Cyril's attempted escapes, he literally runs into a 30-something hairdresser named Samantha, who, after tracking down the bike his father sold to a neighbor, agrees to take Cyril in and be his foster parent. Cyril is subsequently forced to learn a number of difficult life lessons. After his father tells him that he doesn't want to see him anymore, Cyril falls into a gang of low-life hoods led by the ne'er-do-well Wes, who lures Cyril under his influence with Orange Fanta and PlayStation games. Pretty soon, the fatherless Cyril finds himself on the verge of becoming a full-fledged criminal, and it's up to Samantha, played by the beautiful Cécile de France, to intervene before it's too late. Like their Palm d'Or winning movie L'Enfant, a.k.a. The Child, Kid with a Bike proves that the Dardenne brothers are two of the world's leading storytellers, and their signature visual style, characterized by loose handheld camera work, along with their affinity for stories about redemption in Belgium's lower to middle class, combined to make The Kid with a Bike one of the best movies I've seen in a while. It's easily my favorite movie of 2012 so far, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's still on my top ten list at the end of the year. I also got a chance to check out the Indonesian hit The Raid Redemption, which was actually directed by a Welshman named Gareth Evans. It chronicles a day in the life of 20 elite cops who are tasked with infiltrating a high-rise apartment building run by a criminal overlord who provides sanctuary for hundreds of the city's most dangerous criminals. In fact, the criminals are so dangerous that many of the cops lose their lives soon after stepping through the door, 
and it's up to a surviving few to step up and overcome what appears to be an insurmountable and deadly challenge. Laced with gunplay, knife play, machete fights, and plenty of hand-to-hand combat, The Raid Redemption is a slick, skillfully produced action thriller that effectively capitalizes on the video game-like scenario where a group of good guys has to literally beat a series of levels and defeat a number of underbosses before finally encountering the big boss. Like many video games, some of the underbosses turn out to be more entertaining than the big boss himself, especially in the case of a character named Mad Dog, played by Yayan Ruihan, a henchman who prefers hand-to-hand combat and snaps his defeated foe's necks with a sense of victorious ecstasy. The overarching story, which weaves in elements of police corruption and family secrets, merely exists as little more than a foundation upon which the director Evans and his talented cast of martial arts and weapons experts can create a thrilling, at times graphically violent, escape for the audience. Apparently, an English-language remake of The Raid is already in the works, with the original director Evans at the helm. If you get a chance, see The Raid in a crowded theater. My viewing experience was one of the most entertaining I've had in a while. Not only were people applauding and cheering during fight scenes, a fight nearly broke out in my theater, and luckily I made it out alive. Unfortunately, the same cannot be said for the dozens of poor souls that meet their maker in the Raid Redemption. From New York, this is Graham Flanagan for Aspect Radio and FilmNerds.com. Okay, thanks, Graham, for that report. We look forward to seeing both The Kid with a Bike and Raid Redemption. Which apparently opens in Birmingham on April 13th. I'm pumped. Can't wait to see it. So you'll see, you'll put that as a higher priority above Three Stooges? You know, I don't know how to answer that question. Actually, also next week, the Cabin in the Woods comes out. So that's priority one, and then the drive to see the raid. That hasn't been spoiled for me yet. So I'm kind of excited about it. But I can't wait for Three Stooges. What are you doing? I'm going to be there, man. This is some sort of (laughs) crazy anti-comedy that I don't understand. No, it's not. It is not. I believe in this movie. As someone who grew up watching Three Stooges, who was force-fed Three Stooges by his dad, this movie looks like a Three Stooges movie. Wait, are you being are you being I'm being, ser- totally, being serious. totally serious. I right will here. be there that weekend. I will be there at Three Stooges. It does have Larry David playing a nun. Does it really? What? You didn't know that? Oh, wow. That's the one selling point That's for this like, movie. You just sent me over the edge, man. That's the one selling point. You didn't even know about that. I don't even know what to do well, now here. I won't be surprised. That kind of sucks. But no, I, yeah, I think it looks funny. If you like the Three Stooges, you can't look at the trailers and what we've been given so far and say, that doesn't look like the Three Stooges. It looks exactly I like it. I would never presume to say anything like that. You don't like, like the like Three that. Stooges? I, I'm okay with the Three Stooges. I don't like the idea of the Three Stooges like hanging out with the cast of Jersey Shore. I don't know how long that's going to last in the movie. I don't think Snooky becomes part of the plot, you know, whatever Snooki plot there may be. Shimp. I don't know. That might be better than the plot they actually have, but who knows? Yeah, whether or not Shimp makes a, an appearance will be interesting, and uh, we're going to seriously break down this movie when it comes out, believe I, me. I, I'll go see it. If you want to <laughs> review it, I'll go see it. I don't even care, man. I'll do whatever. I've got that movie pass thing. I'll just – I'll go see anything. Hey, man, I'm going to buy a ticket at the box office for the Three Stooges. All right. Let's, let's do it. One for let's, Three let's Stooges. Let's say right now. Let's say right now. Coming up on Aspect Radio, future episodes, reviews of The Cabin in the Woods and The Three Stooges. I will do it. Can't wait. All right. Well, something that we are really looking forward to, the both of us, is Woody Allen's new movie, To Roam with Love, as it was newly titled before it was Bob Decameron and then Nero Fiddled back when we did our most anticipated movies of 2012 lists. It has now changed its title to To Roam with Love. It stars Woody Allen, Jesse Eisenberg, Alec Baldwin, old Woody Allen veteran, actress Judy Davis, Roberta Benini's in it, Ellen Page, Greta Gerwig. It has a great cast. Penelope Cruz. Yeah, and Penelope Cruz. And we finally have a trailer. And, Corey, I've got to say that I've been slightly skeptical about some of Woody Allen's lighter comedies, I guess, in recent years. But following the great Midnight in Paris, it seems like Woody Allen's just sort of keeping up whatever he was doing that time. Not to say that this will be a Best Picture nominee or as magical as that. I just think it looks really good. They gave us such a great room. You know, you married a very bright guy. I got a, I got 150, 160 IQ. You're figuring it in euros. In dollars, it's much less. Congratulazioni. It's all paid. It's all yours. It's all for you. But look at what should be an error. I'm here to satisfy your dreams. 
I lived in Rome for a year when I was uh, your age. Ah. This might have been my exact street. Come on in, my girlfriend makes great espresso. My friend just broke up with her boyfriend. I told her she could stay with us. She's smart and funny. Men just adore her. I think it's because of the sexual vibe that she gives off. I always had a little yen for sleeping with a woman. And when I finally did it, it was incredible. She's something, isn't she? I think it looks good to you. And you know, like, it just renewed me with this sense of hope that this film will, like, follow that long-standing tradition of Woody Allen supporting actresses showing up at the Academy Awards for, like, Greta Gerwig or Ellen Page to be the one this time. Of course, they could always end up, like, say, Christina Ricci and anything else and not have a shot. But, I mean, it looks fun. You've got what appear to be uh, four different storylines. The Roberto Benigni story seems appropriately surreal and funny. Uh, in that Alan style. And then, of course, seeing him spar with Judy Davis is just, uh, I mean, that's just that's just enough to sell any Woody Allen fan right there. Yeah. And, I, you know, I see a sort of surreal element to the Alec Baldwin, Jesse Eisenberg yeah, story, too. Is Alec too. Baldwin like a ghost it or looks, something? It, it, it looks like either a ghost or maybe like future Jesse Eisenberg or something. Huh. We'll see how that works. But it looks like when Jesse Eisenberg is sort of interacting with those other characters, Alec Baldwin is sort of off to the side or they're not paying attention to him. So we'll see how that works. Yeah. He, he blends fantasy better than anybody does in these comedies. But yeah, I can't wait to see what Roberto Benigni does in this. And if anybody's going to get nominated from the looks of the trailer, it looks like Penelope Cruz will again as well, this Italian prostitute, I yeah. guess. She looks hilarious. Yeah, she does look good. And it appears that Woody Allen's direction to Roberto Benigni so far, just based on the trailer, is dial it down, dial it down. It looks pretty dialed down, it actually. It does, yeah. It's for the first significant American production that he's done in forever. It does. You know, this is going to be a reemergence of sorts for him because he's been gone into the wilderness for a little while. But I like the look of it. I like the look of Jesse Eisenberg and, and Ellen Page and Greta Gerwig playing off of one another. They're three of their generation's most talented actors and actresses, and the idea of them being in any movie together would be exciting, but a Woody Allen movie is is pretty exciting. Totally. And like you said, it looks really good. I believe Darius Kanji has yeah. shot the movie. It actually looks a lot like Midnight in Paris in terms of sort of like the softer, warmer light that it's sort of bringing to the table here in another European city, this time Rome. The only thing that kind of worries me about it is it looks like it has a narrator, this traffic cop. Well, that... he's got to be like the guy who introduces yeah. the four stories I don't and connects know. them. I don't know. Like I said on, on our previous anticipated movies of 2012 podcast, I don't like anthology movies just as a rule. They make me nervous. I'm still kind of nervous, but with the footage we've seen and the cast he's assembled, I, I'm on the anthology thing doesn't bother me. I just don't like unnecessary narrators. And he's had a couple recently, one in Vicky Cristina Barcelona and two in You Will Meet a Tall Dark Stranger, where they were just completely unnecessary. If they had just let the story and the characters unfold like they would have anyway without it, we'd have been fine. Okay. So I don't mean to end on a dour note here because we're both looking <laughs> by, forward to by this movie so Vicky much. hating on Vicky Cristina Barcelona, which is a masterpiece. But, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. For, we're going to laugh about that, but we're going to call for, Cassandra's Dream a masterpiece. For, that's for that's another fine. podcast. Yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll we'll do that. Well, Cassandra's Dream at least didn't have a dumb narrator. Well, at least Vicky Cristina Barcelona had human characters that you could relate to. Okay. What's on DVD this week, Corey? Uh DVD this week. You'll be pleased to uh, finally go out there and pick up Steven Spielberg's War Horse. Well, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, we've got it on the table in front of us. I picked up my copy yesterday. Uh, the four-disc Blu-ray combo pack that has that second Blu-ray of, of extra features that I can't wait to dig into. Obviously, we've said a lot about War Horse You've said more about it than I have. Uh, it was your number two favorite movie of 2011. So you gonna, are you pumped to get this? Well, I don't know if I'll get it. I mean, I'll definitely have immediate access to the Blu-ray while it's on Redbox yeah. for a while. There could be a time where I buy it. I don't buy a lot of DVDs these days, though. I don't know why, but I mean, I don't know. I just feel like Blu-ray and DVDs in general might be a thing of the past relatively soon, and I just feel like wasting $20 or $30 at a time on them might not be the best idea when I'm probably going to be able to get them digitally here in a little while. Uh -huh. And as you stroke your Warhorse Blu-ray yeah. in front of me, just, which is uh... creepy and... Yeah, it sure it makes me a little jealous for the time being, so, but I think I'll wind up with Warhorse in high definition. Piece of hardware. Yeah, pretty <laughs> piece of hardware. I think I'll get by. Well, also on DVD and Blu-ray, Cameron Crowe's new film, We Bought a Zoo. I finally caught up with this yesterday in the course of writing my column for Tusk. And I got to tell you, Ben, 
I thought it was good. I thought it was good. I don't think the marketing did it justice. I think that it's not, you know, a complete return to form for Cameron Crowe, but it's certainly, well, it's a lot better than Elizabethtown, and it's uh, it's moving in the right direction, thanks to the cast that he assembled, particularly Matt Damon as the uh, central character, a recent widower who decides to uh, upend his family's life on a whim and purchase a big house that just so happens to be on the grounds of a zoo and take all the responsibilities of reopening this zoo and, and bringing new livelihoods to the uh, limited staff that stuck around. Matt Damon gives a really nice, heartfelt performance. I mean, heartfelt is a good way to describe Cameron Crowe's movies, and this movie is no exception. It's really earnest. It's got a lot of nice performances. Elle Fanning is in this movie. She's very good. Thomas Hayden Church shows up as Matt Damon's brother. He's good. Scarlett Johansson is not annoying, which is always nice you know, for a Scarlett Johansson performance. Right, like um, she is in Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Okay, there we go. <laughs> but, you know, this movie... You know, we we had a lot of criticisms about its trailer, that it seemed to be relying on Cameron Crowe tropes to sell it and then just sort of didn't do a good job even of that. But it's a lot better than, than I expected it to be, and it's a lot less cloyingly sentimental on top of that. Well, look, it doesn't surprise me that you liked it. I mean, I tend to like movies that I have sub-zero expectations for, so... Maybe that'll work in its favor if I ever see this movie. But I'm I, still pretty burned on Cameron Crowe's last couple. Last couple? Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Not just Elizabethtown. No, no, no. I'm not a fan of Vanilla Sky. Like, I like Vanilla Sky. Like, at all. And yeah, I don't really want to get into it right here. You don't but... really want to get into the almost famous <laughs> not travesty. Really. Not really. That in... travesty that you don't like, that extremely, like, wonderful movie that everybody likes because it's amazing yeah well we don't have to get into that ben we don't have to get into that also on dvd this week um <laughs> last one i'll mention uh a don't you remember in a dangerous method when vincent cassell's character says don't repress anything right cory right i think you should apply that to your life okay. okay all right all right let's move on uh also on dvd uh a documentary called being elmo a puppeteer's journey this one's been available on netflix instant for a couple weeks now ahead of its release but it's a really nice little documentary about kevin clash if you don't know the name kevin clash you're certainly familiar with some of his performances as he is best known as the puppeteer who brings to life the extremely popular sesame street character elmo among other puppet creations. The film documents his career from his childhood dreams of wanting to work with puppets to getting involved with Jim Henson and the Jim Henson workshop at a young age. And it's, you know, it's a crowd pleaser. It's an uplifting documentary about a guy who followed his dreams and now is one of the most well-regarded and well-respected puppeteers in the world. And it's worth checking out. I think it's still available on Netflix Instant. So if you have an opportunity, I do recommend it. It's on the queue, for sure. Definitely check it out. Is that it this week? That's it this week. It's kind of a small week, as it is in theaters. Now playing in theaters nationwide and in Tuscaloosa at the Cobb Hollywood 16, American Reunion, the fourth film in the official American Pie series. Not those spinoffs that aren't as good, I guess, unless you're an adolescent boy who is learning about biology and... anatomy and the way things work plus titanic 3d james cameron really needs the money also get out there and make it happen for the guy apparently he just bought half of new zealand on which to film the avatar sequels so he's got to replenish those coffers i just want to say i saw wrath of the titans which is now playing in in theaters saw it in imax 3d i don't know how this mistaken notion got started that wrath of the titans was quality entertainment or better than the first movie, which itself was pretty forgettable and mediocre. But Wrath of the Titans is really bad, really bad. And yeah, it's it, it's from the director of Battle Los Angeles, so everybody's like, oh, well, what were you expecting? Hey, I was expecting... You, look, hey, I like Battle Los Angeles. What? I'm one of those guys who You're likes what? Battle Los Gross, Angeles. Gross, man. Ugh. No, that movie sucked. No. Wrath of the Titans is worse. It's um 95 minutes of incoherence and Sam Worthington fighting monsters or whatever and look you know it looks cool it's got good special effects but everything looks cool these days and everything has good special effects well people didn't feel that way about the first one i mean did you see this one in 3d so many people felt like that retrofit 3d was sort of infamously bad the first one it was because they did it in like two weeks right this is not shot in 3d but it was 
post-converted and the 3D is actually competent. I didn't see the first movie in 3D in theaters, though. I saw it in 2D. It was mediocre to okay. And this one's just straight up bad, no matter how competent the 3D job is or how good the special effects are. It's got Liam Neeson and Rafe Fiennes acting in scenes together for the third time. The second time was Clash of the Titans. The first time was Schindler's List. I recommend one of those movies. Don't say which. Yeah, I'll uh, let you guess. Well, is this the, you know, this film is doing fairly well at the box office. I assume that it'll do pretty well overseas, but hopefully it'll do poorly enough to where we're done with Sam Worthington for a while. Sam Worthington, I just don't think he's an action star, man, because like I've actually been kind of impressed with some of his other performances. He's pretty good in that movie, The Debt, the John Madden directed movie. I think he's pretty good in that. I think he gives a a pretty heartfelt performance in that. He's pretty good in this otherwise languid and boring and not worth seeing drama called Last Night, where he co-stars with Kira Knightley. That movie kind of got dumped last year and nobody saw it. But he's just been kind of lifeless in all these action movies that he's done, and he doesn't really change that with Wrath of the Titans. He's outacted by the special effects around him. But that's just the nature of these sorts of movies, you know? It's just, why bother? Why bother to see a movie that has nothing to offer but special effects? You can see the best moments of the movie and the coolest shots in the damn trailers these days and you don't have to be burdened by sitting in a theater and watching nonsense for an hour and a half i fell asleep twice i fell asleep during this movie twice in an imax screen with loud booming sound and 3d because it just didn't make sense and i didn't care and you've got you know edgar ramirez is in this movie you know who I haven't seen Carlos, but by all accounts, he gives a terrific performance in that miniseries, and he doesn't have anything to do. And you've got Rosamund Pike, you've got Bill Nye, Danny Houston. You've got these actors who are, well, I know you, you have a famous dislike for Danny Houston for some reason, but you've got these actors who are capable of so much more than this nonsense. And, you know, this is what people want. You So you said you fell asleep? Yeah, I nodded off twice. Well, I don't trust your opinion of the movie then. I nodded off twice. It's not like I took a nap for like 10 minutes. It was during the big incoherent action climax. Look, if you want 3D action with special effects that actually, you know, contribute to a story that actually does make sense. Again, we ask you, John Carter, what happened? What happened? You know, is it really just marketing? Are people suckered in by that damn Marilyn Manson Sweet Dreams Are Made of These cover that they played in the trailer for Wrath of the Titans? Is is that what did it? Is there any dubstep in Wrath of the Titans? Not that I recall. But if, you know, throw some damn Skrillex in the movie and we've got a, now we're a talking. picture. We've got a picture. Maybe they should have put Sam Worthington in John Carter. I don't know. He seems to be the face of these I don't get it. big just, budget studio special effects driven action I mean, movies. I just, I just think this movie's going to drop like a stone this weekend even though there's no competition because the bros saw Wrath of the Titans and now they're just like, yeah, we saw that movie last weekend, I guess. I don't really remember it, but it was something to do. Got out of the house. Hunger Games will clean up again. The Hunger Games will clean up again. And it Good. Should clean if it up gets again. rid of Wrath of the Titans and direct like that, then fine. You know, Wrath of the Titans is also, it also took the IMAX screen at the Cobb against the Hunger Games played there for one week on the IMAX screen. Didn't get to see it. Titanic's not playing on the IMAX screen because of Wrath of the Titans. I'd rather see Titanic, a movie that I've seen countless times on the IMAX screen, than suffer through Wrath of the Titans again. So just screw that movie, man. It's just, ugh. <sighs> Now I'm all worked up. You can find us now on aspectradio.net. You can email any of your feedback to feedback at aspectradio.net. Find us at twitter.com slash aspectradio or facebook.com slash aspectradio. And check us out on al.com and tusk205.com. Find us on iTunes with a quick search or click the link on our blog. And you can read Corey's DVD column in Tusk Magazine every Friday in the Tuscaloosa News or on tusk205.com. Follow his Tusk musings on Twitter at Corey Tusk Movies. And the music you've heard during our breaks today comes from the Alabama Shakes, the fast-rising group from Athens, Alabama, who will release their full-length debut album, Boys and Girls, on April 10th. 
This is highly recommended. I've heard the whole thing, and you can actually catch a preview of the entire album through NPR's First Listen series, available at npr.org. Really good stuff. And they put on a great show recently in Tuscaloosa at the Tuscaloosa Get Up. Be sure to visit our friend Matt Scalici's website, filmnerds.com, where you'll find a new episode of Cinematrimony on The Hunger Games. I need to listen to that. Did they like it? I haven't listened to it. They just posted it today. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have a chance to listen to it at work. I know Francesca's a fan of the book series, hmm. so... Should Probably. be interesting, though. Yeah. And thanks again to my brother Graham for joining us and offering his thoughts on what's in limited release up in the Big Apple. And thanks, as always, to our producer, Andrew Richardson. I'd like to jump in here and also once again thank the people uh, I talked to at the Cobb Hollywood 16 for taking the time while waiting in line to uh, talk to us about their hopes for the movie that they were about to see. And until next week, from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, I'm Ben Flanagan. And I'm Corey Kraft. This is Aspect Radio. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.